Congressional Republicans' push to repeal and replace Obamacare is now in senators' hands. Republican leader Mitch McConnell wants to pass a bill by sometime in July and then begin the process of reconciling it with the measure the House passed in May. But significant differences of opinion in his own caucus are making it difficult to stick to that timeline. I'm Sean Zeller, and this is CQ Roll Call's Week Ahead podcast. My guest today in our Washington studio just up the street from the White House is Carrie Young, who's covering the Senate deliberations for CQ. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks, Sean. So, Carrie, tell me, where is the Senate with its bill? They are still apparently working out the details. There's been a, um, to put it mildly, a robust conversation among Republican senators. It it's, goes well beyond the, uh, the small working group we heard of initially. A lot of ideas still being tested, a lot of uh, decisions still to make. It, they really seem to be in the throes of trying to work something out. And you were telling me just before we went on air that you don't think this is really repeal of Obamacare. What were you talking about there? No, it's it's not a, a repeal. They're not striking the, the provisions, the entire law, and starting over. They're really revising a lot of it. They're making uh, major changes. And in addition to the revisions they want to make in the Obamacare bill's appeal to uh, subsidies and uh, insurance regulations, they are tacked on to that, this major restructuring of Medicaid. So it's proving a lot harder than they said during the campaign, when repeal was certainly the watchword. Repeal probably seemed a lot easier to do when you thought you were going to have a Democratic president. They're negotiating the details behind closed doors, which is significant. Who's in the room? You know, to some degree, everyone is in the room. I mean, they, they said that in the beginning, and it sounds like a cliche. Uh, Senator Wicker told me sometime last Every month, Republican. Yeah, every Republican. Important point, Sean, about this being a 52-member focus group. They've, they've had a lot of lunches, but obviously some people are more active than others. Uh, Senator Bill Cassidy, a physician from Louisiana, is, is bringing a lot of energy and ideas to the discussion, particularly around Medicaid. Senator John Hoven from North Dakota, a former governor, is another person who's really trying to to put a stamp on what they're going to do in these major Medicaid changes. Senator McConnell has been a big fan of what he calls regular order, which means working through the committees of Congress, doing things out in the open, negotiating, having amendments considered. Why close doors now? You know, there, there's been so much discussion on this this week. The Democrats obviously are seizing on the fact that this bill is being written behind closed doors. Uh, Republicans who've been in town for a while will point out that the 2009 law, the Democratic Obamacare law, as it's known, was actually largely the, the final tweaks on that. Most of that got done in the same closed-door manner. So. And why do they prefer that? I mean, does it make it difficult to do things in the open? Does that cause the process to break down? Um, you know, there are a lot of theories on this, but some of what they're doing is pretty radical. The Medicaid restructuring, um, I don't want to say it came out of left field, but that is well beyond just making changes to the 2010 health law, and it's something on which we really haven't seen a, a lot of hearings in the Senate. We really haven't seen a lot of discussion. And if it's done in the open, I suppose it gives the opposition time to rally and put pressure give, on moderate members? It would certainly increase the difficulty on what's an already daunting task for Senator McConnell of getting 50 of his 52 members, senators, Republican senators, on board for a single version of this bill. Now, you mentioned the 2009 process, which led to the ultimate enactment of Obamacare and how the final details were worked out behind closed doors. But before that, it was a long process of open hearings. It was a very long process, and it was it went on for those of us who were in town at the time. It went on for uh, months. There really was some 
attempt. And obviously parts of that bill have Republican support. Parts of that bill actually come out of Republican ideas. So we are in a very different world here. There was from the get-go no real attempt to involve Democrats on this one. And McConnell's, he, he's using special procedures, which ultimately will allow him to pass a bill with only 50 senators and then get Vice President Mike Pence, if necessary, to break the tie. What's the challenge he's facing here to get those 50 votes? To get the 50 votes, first of all, for the, it's this process they call budget reconciliation here in Washington, which is one of uh, the biggest abuses, I think, of the English language, because you have, uh, you're not reconciling anything. It's a, it's a fast-track tool for the majority. It tells the minority get, they're going to be sidelined. For Senator McConnell, he has, he has a, a lot of different views within that group. He has Senator Rand Paul, who doesn't want any of the subsidies, really, to, to persist. He's, he hasn't said no. Senator Paul is very clear that he hasn't said no to leadership, but yet he wants to build He's a libertarian and wants a free market system. He does indeed. He's the, the Republican senator from Kentucky, and he's, uh, he's pretty clear on what he wants the bill to look like. Really, most other Republicans in some way want the current system of subsidies for insurance to continue. I talked to Mark Meadows yesterday, who's a, a leading conservative in the House, and he was saying he would expect that to continue. So you have to deal with that. On the other side, you have uh, senators from Ohio, like Senator Rob Portman, who are concerned about how quickly the Medicaid expansion of the 2010 law would be phased out. Right. He was joined on a letter about that very issue with Lisa Murkowski of Alaska, Cory Gardner yeah. um, of Colorado, people who are, represent states that use the Obamacare provision, allowing them to expand Medicaid to cover a larger group, not just the very poorest, but lower income people too. What's, what's the Senate's plan on that? Are they going to keep the expanded Medicaid? Well, they won't keep it. They will phase it out. The question is whether to phase out these added incentives that the 2010, the 2010 law, frankly, provided some generous incentives to states. They'll pick up from 100% down to 90% over time of the cost of, of enrolling, let's say, the working poor, people up to 138% of the federal poverty level and in income. So pulling that back quickly would cause a, a, a huge problem in these states. And actually, this expansion has helped in dealing with the opioid addiction in a lot of states. Um, there's been a real value to it for in many places. Which is an epidemic that a lot of senators are very concerned about. It is. This is one of the reasons you see uh, Senator Shelley Moore Capito, who is a Republican from West Virginia, is, is another one who's concerned about how you address these Medicaid provisions. That's a very hard-hit state, right, Indeed. from the opi uh, opioid epidemic. Governor John Kasich from Ohio, the presidential candidate last year, he proposed a compromise on the Medicaid expansion issue, right? Governor Kasich actually tweeted recently uh, a reminder that he the best deals are done in a bipartisan way. So let's listen to what Kasich had to say about it on CNN. See, I think, I think the fundamental issue here are the resources. I, I don't want to give you exactly the numbers, but it's about half the resources in this bill that were in Obamacare. Now, I can tell you that we can do with less resources, but you can't do it overnight, and you, can't, and you cannot give people a three or $4,000 health insurance policy. You know where they're going to be? They're going to be living in the emergency rooms again. So they went, I mean, they were just trying to fulfill a campaign promise, and I still say they should have worked with the Democrats. Now, if the Democrats didn't want to work with them because some of them did not, then they should have called them out. But you tell me what happens to people Think about our listeners. What can you buy for three or $4,000 a year? Not, not much. And Carrie, what are other Republican governors saying about this? 
the governors haven't been publicly staking out a very hard position yet because we don't know what the Senate bill looks like. Uh, all of these questions that uh, we're discussing today and that, quite frankly, we're all of us are discussing every day up on the Capitol are the uncertainty of this. That we don't really know yet what the Senate version of the bill looks like. That said, it will look a lot like the House version of the bill. It will almost certainly have the uh, major change in Medicaid going from the current open-ended financial support from the federal government probably to a cap system. It will definitely phase out the expansion, and there'll be some reshuffling of the subsidies provided by the ACA. Right. On Medicaid, again, the House bill would cut $800 billion in Medicaid costs yeah. over 10 years. That was a big appeal to conservatives. They want to constrain the cost of this program, which is a huge part of the federal budget, a huge part of state budgets. Um, so Senate Republicans are going to do the same. Yeah, there, I, there's very little chance that they would actually, I mean, they may take that number down. It might not be the $834 billion in savings over a decade that CBO had last pegged it at, but that is, um, I don't want to say the piggy bank, but that is a, a major source of the savings they need in this bill to pay for the tax changes they want to make, the repealing some of the taxes, delaying the start of other taxes. How are those savings going to be achieved? Is it by covering fewer people? One thing I'd heard was covering... Uh, fewer drugs, some of the more expensive ra um, experimental drugs that wouldn't perhaps wouldn't be covered. It seems that it would be more, you'd wind up with fewer people in the program, and you would have then, governors would have to face difficult choices under a cap system of, of how generous they would be on certain benefits, but it looks more like you'd actually have enrollment decisions or services offering fewer, unessential, not unessential, but optional services. The the Both the number of people in the program and sort of the generosity of the program would come in. Now, President Trump, who worked pretty hard to get that House bill passed, which failed in March, but then after some negotiating amongst Republicans, it passed in May. President Trump praised the bill at the time, but recently he met with Republican senators and said it was too mean, that they needed to be more generous. What was he talking about? That was uh, that was certainly surprising, even from our, uh, our rather um, unpredictable uh, president. It's um, he had worked with the very hard with the House members to get that bill passed. As we know, that was not an easy task. They uh, they had to take it back once. In the end, they squeaked it through the House with two seventeen to two one three vote, so pretty tight. And then to have your kind of partner in doing this in the White House uh, make those comments at a you know pretty large meeting. I think it was thirteen fifteen senators. So in Washington, you know something like that is going to, to leak out. I, I, you have to wonder what the Senate Republicans are thinking now about their partner and their own difficult effort in getting a bill passed. Well, one of the issues, right, is how expensive it is for people who are buying insurance mm -hmm. on the private market through the exchanges that Obamacare set up. And the House bill um, would have made it a lot more expensive for older people and people with pre-existing conditions. The insurers would have been allowed to charge them more. Is the Senate thinking about giving those people bigger subsidies? There is, um, there's definitely an effort to reduce the impact for consumers in buying these plans. Um, the idea of looking at the House bill, which would have set up a system of, of waivers where those uh, protections on pre-existing conditions could have, could have gone away. Is something that's that's concerning to people. It doesn't seem that they have come up with their strategy on it, other than a, a general wish among senators that their bill let people buy insurance for um, for lower costs. Now, the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan agency that 
looks at legislation and determines what it's going to do, said that the House bill was going to cost 23 million people their insurance over 10 years, but would save the government $119 billion. That didn't seem like a good trade-off to a lot of people. So the senators are thinking hard about how their bill will rate, according to the CBO, right? That's exactly right, Sean. There's a lot of... uh a lot of concern, a lot of energy about bringing that 23 million number down. CMS, which is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, put out some separate numbers this week that, quite frankly, didn't get that much traction with a a lower estimate. There's a real concern on that number of people who will lose insurance through what will be the first major health bill of the Trump administration, bringing that number down. Republicans say those state exchanges are falling apart. And they have some evidence. They point to, for example, Anthem, a large insurer pulling out of Ohio recently. They point to Harvard Pilgrim and big rate increases being imposed on people in Maine. Is there a lot of evidence that the exchanges are failing? You know, it's a it's a mixed bag. What we're seeing there definitely are reasons for concern. There are some places where they they will be working better than in other places, but. Um, It's a really political question at this point. Part of the difficulty for insurers is not knowing what their their partner in this, the federal government, is going to pay on on a major cost. Long story short, there was a House Republicans had sued last year over a provision of the 2010 law, and they've wound up in this situation, having now captured the White House and controlling Congress, of being in control of whether or not the government will pay about 7 to $10 billion a year, let's say the next couple of years, and these additional subsidies. These don't go to pay premiums, they pay the other costs. It's a huge pool of money. If you don't know if your partner is going to pay that... Federal probably- government basically was helping the insurers cover these hard-to-insure populations with subsidies. Absolutely. And now, I mean, it's it's an odd thing because as consumers, we're not always fond of insurance companies, but you almost have to feel sorry for them having this uncertainty to deal with. I mean, how can you plan what your products will cost next year when you don't have all these variables? The White House has sort of refused to commit, uh, probably part of a bargaining position, But we had this week Senator Alexander uh, publicly asked HHS Secretary Tom Price for a commitment for two years on these so-called cost-sharing reduction subsidies. We also had House Ways and Means Chairman Kevin Brady made a similar request. So it seems like maybe there'll be some movement on that. So quite a difference from being the opposition to being in control for the Republicans. Governing is very difficult. All right, Carrie. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me in, Sean. I'm Sean Zeller, and I thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One.